Uh, you need to know that Chris is just super well uh, respected across the region in our denomination, and uh, so uh, uh, love Chris. So just a little bit of logistics. Uh, you have in your um, uh, bulletins kind of a regular place to take notes. I've also, and uh, we've added a little insert as well so that you can uh, look at all the specific passages uh, that we'll address, and so you can look back on there. There's kind of an outline uh, there as well. I love the voice, not the TV show. Uh, I'm talking about the voice on the GPS. How many of you are with me? How many of you, you still pull out the maps? Anybody? Okay, just a couple. All right. Across the age spectrum, a little older, a little younger. Um, how many of you love the voice too? When I, when I travel, whether it's across a, a town or across the state or across the country, I immediately tune into the voice. I seek the voice. I actually uh, listen to the voice after I program it in. This morning I programmed it in to get here. I, uh, I listen to the voice. I watch the screen. I watch the voice. And uh, I actually have some friends. And uh, one, uh, his voice is called Veronica. Uh, I have another friend, and, and uh, her voice is an Australian man. And so, uh, so anyway, some, some of you are uh, nodding your heads as well. And so I was traveling back in March, early March, uh, over to Asheville, and that was the time when the uh, uh, rock slide had closed Interstate 40. And so no worries, I trust the voice. I have faith in the voice. And so I plugged in my voice, and I'm going down Interstate and uh, uh, going on over, and uh, all of a sudden I see this flashing sign. Detour now, Interstate uh, I-81. Road closed ahead. And in that moment, I was in a quandary. Do I trust the voice because she hasn't said anything yet? Or do I, or do I trust the sign? Who, who am I going to listen to? And so uh, I really kind of trusted the voice, uh, and so I kept on going straight. Uh, but I was a little worried, and so I unplugged the voice to make sure she was working right and, and uh, gave it a little tab just to make sure everything was all right. And then I looked in the oncoming uh, lane, and there was no cars. And then I looked in my rearview mirror, and there was no cars. Before, I was in the middle of a swarm, and now there's no cars. And I got a little worried about the voice. Is it really working? And so we continued on, and uh, then I see another flashing sign. Road closed in five miles. Detour pronto. But at this point, I'm invested, and so I still have faith in the voice, and so we go on. And about a half a mile before the road closes, closes it detours me off, and it winds me along this gorgeous mountain river setting up over the mountains to Asheville, North Carolina. And I cheered. I said, voice, I'm never going to doubt you again. I love you. I'm going to be loyal. No, no more doubt for me. And it's fascinating that we trust the voice, which is nothing but a technology company and artificial intelligence, to find our way around earth. How much more important that we would trust the voice of God to navigate all the way into eternity. And so, <clears throat> the theme this morning is on the screen behind me as well, and it, it is this. And it's a theme that we see woven all throughout Scripture, from the Old Testament, the opening book, all the way to the New Testament, to the final book. And that uh, theme is this, following God's voice will lead me to abundant life. Following God's voice will lead me to abundant life. Now, every day you and I are faced with this onslaught of voices all calling out, follow me, follow me, follow me. The three major voices of the world, the movies, media, and uh, music. In addition, we have the voice of fashion and politics and sports. The voice of friends, peers, family members. The voice of our fleshly desires. And also, the voice of the demonic. The voice of the enemy. 
And then we also have the voice of God. The voice that we choose to follow leads somewhere every time. And it's going to either lead us towards God and deeper into the kingdom and closer to Jesus or away. Now you may be thinking, uh, I don't know if I've heard God's voice. And in our mind, oftentimes, when, the, when this kind of language comes up, we think, oh, it's an audible voice. And sometimes God speaks audibly. And having done workshops uh, for years all over the country, uh, I would bet in a room this size that there's a handful of you that have actually heard God's audible voice. I'm not going to ask you to show your hands, and I'd also bet that most of you have shared that with very few people because you were afraid that they'd think you were crazy. And so just because God speaks audibly, it doesn't mean that God, uh, to you personally, it doesn't mean that God loves you more. Uh, my wife actually heard an audible voice one time. She was going to get into a car with a, uh, a fellow student group uh, member in high school, and she heard a voice that says, get out of the car now. doesn't mean that God loves her more. Uh, it just does mean that God uh, speaks to us uniquely, and sometimes it's an audible voice. Now I want to define what hearing God's voice is. To me... When I look through the breadth of Scripture, it's all the ways that God reveals His love, His leadership, and His limits. His love, the way he, that He affirms us, the way that He encourages us, uh, the way, to, the way that he, he speaks his, his affirmation and encouragement and strengthening to us. His guidance, the way He helps us uh, make decisions and navigate. And His uh, limits, His conviction, His warning. You're wandering off the trail. Come back to me. Come back to me. Uh, as you follow me, there's life. Years ago, I, I did an overview study of, uh, of the whole Bible and uh, picked out specific passages that described hearing God's voice. And I put all those into what I would put as uh, six buckets or six categories. And on the screen behind me is these broad six ways that God speaks. The first and number one way is the Bible. Uh, it's the number one way that God speaks. Uh, the Holy Spirit inspired Scripture. The Holy Spirit helps us understand Scripture. The Holy Spirit actually uh, helps and, and empowers us to carry out Scripture and obey. And so the Holy Spirit is really proud and excited about the Bible. And so uh, that's the number one way that He speaks. The Holy Spirit also speaks to us through godly wisdom. And all of you uh, were teenagers at one point, or you have teenagers, and you know that your parents want you to have driver wisdom. They want you to know the right thing to do at the right way at the right time. They don't want you calling when you're getting on, ready to get on interstate. Uh, there's a semis behind me. Should I pull out now? And so God trains us over time, and I think that's one of the ways that He guides us, and when, one of the ways that He speaks is through godly wisdom. But I would propose that there's times when godly wisdom and the Bible aren't enough. By that, I mean there's uh, key decisions and guidance that we need that He wants to speak more personally. And so an example of this would be uh, when Paul is on the road to, pardon me, when Saul is on the road to Damascus and he's a religious terrorist uh, set out to persecute Christians and he encounters Jesus on the way. And that happens over here. And then over here is a town where Ananias is. And God comes to Ananias and says, I want you to go over there and pray for Paul, or pray for Saul at that time. Now, godly wisdom would say, that's a bad decision, that's a wrong choice. He's a religious terrorist, he's persecuting people, that does not help the kingdom of God. But God spoke personally in a way that Ananias knew that it was God. He obeyed, went over and prayed for Saul, who, became, who eventually became uh, renamed to Paul. And of course, Paul uh, writes a major portion of the New Testament and founds uh, Gentile missions around the world. And so in this broad category, 
a personal communication, there's a whole bunch of things we see in Scripture, but here's just a couple. Uh, a prompting, a burden, a still small voice, a dream, an impression, sometimes a single word, sometimes a sentence fragment, sometimes angels. And so that's a, that's a big category of ways that God speaks and communicates. Another one, uh, another category is circumstances. We've all prayed for open and closed doors. We see that uh, Paul praying for the same thing. And so sometimes God speaks through our circumstances around us. And we need to be careful with this because sometimes what looks like a closed door is really an invitation to trust God to make a way. And so you can imagine the Israelites, they get to the Red Sea and it's like, oh, flood stage, I guess we missed it. No, God wanted to lead them through. And in the same way, an open door doesn't necessarily mean that God is leading that way. Uh, and so we need to be careful and test and discern. Another major category is other people. God speaks through models and mentors. God speaks through authority figures. And he speaks through people exercising the New Testament gift of prophecy. And then lastly, God speaks through visions or burdens. We see this with Nehemiah. He had a burden to rebuild uh, the wall. The people that started this church and, and uh, uh, years ago, they had a vision and a burden uh, that a gospel-centered EFCA church would be here. And so uh, that's a vision and a burden. Now, many of the ways that God speaks, and actually some of the ways are external, many of the ways that God speaks are internal. It's like a, a still, small voice, a thought that comes into your mind, and it has a certain weight, a certain characteristic, uh, and it leads towards kingdom fruit. Now, you may be thinking... Well, I've never heard the voice of demons. I've never heard the voice of the demonic. And actually, I would propose to you that I'm 100% convinced you all have. You've had thoughts that have come into your mind, maybe thoughts like this. You're an idiot. Everybody has it all together but you. Or maybe you can't trust, you can't trust God. If God was good, then He would rescue you or fix this situation. Or maybe this is a common lie. God may forgive sins, but He can never forgive what you've done. Or maybe you've heard this one. I have. I've heard all of these. Go ahead and take revenge. That person deserves the pain. Now all through grade school and part of high school, I had a demonic thought, I didn't know what it was at the time, that tortured me. I'd actually heard a passage uh, uh, taught about the unpardonable sin and that if you curse the Holy Spirit, then you are double, double, triple toast and then you are doomed. And in my mind, often, all throughout the day, came these, these images and phrases of, of cursing the Spirit. And I thought that was me. I thought that was coming from my heart. It was not. It was a lie from the enemy and that tortured me. That was very, very hard on me for a long, long time until I realized that God can speak to us, but so can the enemy. That's exactly why Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So when a thought comes to our mind, we need to discern, is this from God or not? And then we need to respond to it appropriately. There was a time uh, years ago... Uh, uh, when I heard Satan's voice and I heard God's voice almost simultaneously, about 30 seconds apart. I was on the way to a meeting. There was a lot of people at the meeting that I did not know and I wanted to make a good impression. I needed to bring something, so I stopped at the store, got my items, uh, set them on the thing, and then, oh no, I'd forgotten my wallet at home. 
And so I said, well, just leave this here. I'm going to go run home. I'll be right back. And as I'm walking across the parking lot, just this shame and this condemnation and his voice was saying, you're a total idiot. You couldn't even get this right. The people that you don't know are going to think bad of you. It's going to ruin your reputation and all these things. And I could feel my countenance changing even as I was walking. Oh, no, I am a loser. I'm awful. And I could hear my whole day beginning to spiral down the toilet if I listened to that voice. Now, in God's kindness, about 30 seconds later, I heard a completely different voice. This voice says, you're a son of the Most High God. You just happen to not prepare particularly well today, which was totally true. The voice I listened to in that moment shaped the whole day. I called him, said, hey, I'm going to be running a little late. Didn't lose my reputation. Nothing bad happened. This guy didn't fall. And most importantly, I know that if I would have listened to this other voice, the whole day would have been a huge bummer and just spiraled down the toilet. And so the voice we choose to entertain, the voice we choose to make an agreement with, the voice we choose to act on has huge implications. Well, let's look at Scripture. Let's look back at the Garden of Eden and take a look at how uh, this played out uh, originally. So you're familiar with the story of uh, the Garden of Eden, and so I'll highlight just a few things. God has created everything. He's created man in his own image. And we pick it up in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. So God had created a perfect, handcrafted, custom-made environment for Adam. Adam had a perfect job situation. He was the top dog. He was the CEO. He was the big cheese. Everything was under him. Adam had a perfect relationship with God. They walked in the cool of the day, and God said, there's just one limit, one thing that you cannot do. And we pick it up there in Genesis 2, 16 through 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so God was telling Adam, I've blessed you, I've given you dominion, I've given you everything, there's just one thing that you can't do. And what happens? The enemy, Satan, comes along. And pay attention to the first words that he speaks to the woman in Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So out of the shoot, Satan communicates this lie about God's character and his trustworthiness. You can't trust him. He's he's already judging God's character and whispering that to Eve. And it goes on, and the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor can you touch it lest you die. And so Satan is added to God's word and his commands. Now the woman is added some as well. Verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So what has happened? God has said there is a way to move forward. If you follow my my voice, you're going to stay in blessing. There's just one thing you can't do. The enemy has rushed in and said, don't trust God. He's holding out. 
Instead, do this. And the woman made an agreement with the enemy, chose to follow that and act on it. And now we pick up the rest of the story. Actually, that is the rest of the story. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. Uh, but what I want to want to highlight here is this important when the enemy whispers something if we agree with it it has power and influence and the more we act on it the more power and influence it has and i would propose to you that when you look at every sin in the bible when you look at the sin in your life if you look back it kind of follows the same pattern god says one thing but all of a sudden you're hearing a voice not an audible voice but a thought and a pattern that says no this is better i can do this i choose this and in both cases they lead uh to shame, to guilt, and to hiding. And we pick it up in verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. When we ignore or reject God's voice, when we entertain and agree with the enemy's voice, it leads somewhere. Following God's voice leads to life. Following away from God's voice leads to chaos, to to sin, to guilt, to shame, to hiding even from God. So this is the garden question. Adam and Eve, will you follow God's voice or the enemy's voice? And I would propose it's the same question that we're often faced with in our choices throughout the day. You and you and you and me. Will we follow God's voice, agree with it, move forward into it by faith, or will we follow the voice of the enemy and both lead in a specific direction? Now we're going to see that this isn't just... In the garden, if we turn to the right in our Bibles in Exodus 19.6, we see the same question asked again in a little bit different context. And so in the context here, um, Moses and God have led the people out of bondage in Egypt, and they're out at the foot of Mount Sinai. And uh, listen to the way uh, that this is phrased. And this is Exodus 19.6. And this is from the ESV. The ESV and the NASB both translate it this way. The NIV, if you love the NIV, it translates it uh, a little bit different. Uh, But this is what it says. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. And so it's fascinating in this context, we see a little bit of a distinction between the commands and the covenant of God and the voice of God. And God is saying, if you do this, there's blessing. And then a few chapters later, God expounds on what that blessing looks like, and He expounds again on listening to the voice. And this is Exodus 23-32, uh, and we'll just share just a couple of excerpts. And God said, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place I prepared. Pay careful attention to obey him and his voice. Do not rebel against him. And then we go a few verses later and God spells out in great detail what this means to be blessed uh, if they follow him. 
He says this, but if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies. I will bless your bread and your water, and I will take away sickness, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. Then he goes on, you shall make no covenant with them and their gods, little g gods, for if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. So God has said, if you follow me, there's blessing physically and in provision and in safety. But if you turn against me and follow the voice of the enemy, I will discipline you and you will come into bondage. And so there's this distinct warning. There's distinct blessings for obedience. There's distinct uh, warnings if they choose wrongly. So you know the rest of the story. Moses goes up on the mountain. It's not 40 days later. And the people are thinking Moses is gone. And so this is what they propose. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered and said to Aaron, Up, make us gods, little g-gods, who will go before us. As for this man Moses, we do not know where he has gone or what's become of him. So Aaron tells them, Bring me some of your gold. Everybody bring me some of your gold. And they all start bringing the gold. And we pick it up in Exodus 32, verse 5. And he received their gold, and he fashioned it, he made it, with a graving tool and made it into an idol, a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, the ones that brought you up out of Egypt. Can you imagine God's heart and His disappointment and His sadness and His anger, His frustration? All you have to do is follow my voice. Just obey me. I'll protect you. I'll provide. I'll lead you into the promised land. And now only 40 days later, they've abandoned that and they're following a totally different voice. And what we see that following that other voice leads them in and out of cycles of bondage for over and over and over. All the way through the book of Judges, we see this cycle where for a while they obey God's voice, and then for a while they obey the enemy's voice, and it always leads to bondage. It leads to chaos. It leads to trouble. So the Sinai question is this. Israelites, will you follow God's voice, or will you follow the voices of other gods and worship idols. And that too is the question for us today. There's idols that if I'm not careful in my life that I begin to trust, I begin to move to for comfort and, 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 and when I'm scared and these kinds of things. And it might be the same in your life as well. Now let's turn to the shepherd's question. We're tracing this theme all through Scripture and this is in John 10. Now this is a familiar passage for many of you. And so I'll read it um, in its entirety here. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens the door. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep out by name. There's a level of intimacy with these sheep. And he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. It's very strong language here that Jesus anticipates that his followers know his voice and follow his voice. And then there's a shift in the text. It says this, A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they did not recognize the voice of strangers. The figure of speech Jesus used with them, they did not understand. And so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. 
All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. There's protection that comes from following the shepherd's voice. There's provision that comes from following the shepherd's voice. And then verse 10, kind of the climax of the passage. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I came, says Jesus, that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now in the context here, the the thief and the robber uh, is really the leaders of Israel at this time, the Pharisees and and even uh, past shepherds that haven't cared for the sheep. And what we see, though, I think, is that behind that is an even bigger picture into the realm of the supernatural and that the real uh, thief and robber, the ones uh, that really seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, is the enemy. It's Satan. And we see that all the way from the opening pages of Genesis all the way to Revelation. But I want us to look closely at the second part of that verse. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So I want to be clear, I don't think this is teaching a prosperity gospel that says if you trust God and follow His voice, you're going to have no problems, everything's going to be healthy, and you're going to have abundant provision in these kinds of things. Jesus made a promise to His followers, and it applies to us, to everybody, you will have troubles, every one of us. If we haven't yet, one's around the corner. And so it doesn't mean that. I think part of it is provision and protection, but we're still going to have troubles. And so this morning I'd made a few revisions uh, to what I was going to share this morning and went over to uh, Two Rivers Church super early to, uh, to reprint it. So I got there at 6 o'clock. And I was surprised because uh, the, uh, there was a guy already there and he already had all the lights on. And so this is a saint. I think he's going to have incredible um, blessing in heaven and incredible reward in heaven. And he has the gift of helps, and like some of you that are serving all, all over uh, this wonderful church, uh, he's taken upon it himself to come in the morning at 6 to pick up any trash that's anywhere, to pick up any leaves or anything that's outside, to turn on all the lights, to have everything ready for guests and ready for the body. And so I said, Thomas, how, how are you doing today? And I know that his wife is dealing with the second round of cancer. And I know this is a tough time, and she's uh, in treatment, and it's really hard. And he said, I'll be honest, it really stinks. But then he said something that fascinated me. He said, I can't imagine going through this 20 years ago before my wife and I met Christ. Abundance wasn't going to be the abundance that Jesus promised didn't keep him from trouble. But then he went on to describe the level of prayer, the level of support how real and tangible God is even amidst the pain and the chaos in this horrible journey. He didn't use the word abundant, but I would. God's peace at times, even in the midst of the darkest days, is abundant. His love, His commitment is abundant. His voice speaking, I will never leave you or forsake you, is abundant. The hope that we have that that one day she'll be completely healed is abundant. The hope that we have that one day we'll live in a world, a new heaven and a new earth where there's no more uh, crying, no more tears, no more chaos, no more sickness. That is abundance in the midst of pain and chaos. And so I want to be clear when Jesus says, I have this abundant life for you, it just isn't 
money and provision and safety and protection. I think it includes those, but it's a much bigger, uh, a much bigger gold mine of all the ways that He wants to show us His love and His care and His support. So the choice is ours, whether we're at the top of the mountain, we're experiencing a time of great joy, of great peace, of great provision, of great protection, and God's favor is on us, and we've all had times like that. In that moment, we can choose to hear God's voice and follow it and obey. But at the same time, even if we're in the darkest valley, the shadow of death, in that moment, we there too can choose to hear God's voice and to follow and obey, and to experience and to receive the abundance that Jesus offered and the fruit of the Spirit. In the Sunday school this morning, you were talking about Jesus calming the waters in Luke 8. Even in the worst storm, God can calm your heart. And even in the worst storm, I guarantee the enemy is whispering, if God were really good, then He would fix this. And in that moment, in the midst of our pain, we really have a choice. Which voice will we listen to? One leads to receiving His presence and nearness and power and love and affirmation and strength. The other voice leads us to hopelessness, leads us to despair, leads us to chaos. And so I want to turn the corner in our remaining time and get really uh, super practical. And so in my experience doing the workshops on this kind of all over, Two common questions come up. And the first question is, how can I tell if something is God's voice or the enemy's voice? And another question that always comes up is, if I want to grow in hearing God's voice, what can I do? And so those are the two questions uh, that we'll address. Now, all of us have heard of people doing crazy things, awful things, horrible things, and then trying to give God the credit and say, God told me to do this. Right? We've, We've all heard of that. And so some, we need to be careful. The Bible says we need to be discerning. And so we see in Acts uh, 17 that uh, the Bereans were of more noble character because they heard what Paul said and then they went home and dug into their Bibles to try to discern if it was from God. And so I'm going to propose six tests, six filters to be able to tell if something is from God or the enemy. The first one is the Trinity test. And we see this and you can jot in your notes here, 1 John 4, 1 through 6. 1 John 4, 1 through 6. And I would propose that we need to ask the question, does this thought, this impression, this, this voice that I'm hearing, does it align with the character of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? So we're, well, all the time we pray in Jesus' name, which is a way of saying we're praying in alignment with His character, in alignment with His will, in alignment with His purposes. Does the voice, the impression we're hearing, line up with the Trinity? Does it line up with the gospel and Jesus' unique role as the rescuer come to save us? The next test is the Bible test. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible and anything that the Holy Spirit speaks to us is going to line up with what He's already written. And so if I'm hearing something and it doesn't align with what God says in the Bible, it is not from capital G God. It's not from the God of the Bible. It's from the enemy's voice. We see this in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. We also see it in Acts 17.11. The next one is uh, the truth test. And years ago we had somebody come in and he was kind of coaching us as a church on how to hear God's voice. And he said one of the most common things that the enemy does is so Bill, let's imagine God speaks something to your mind. The enemy loves to come along and ask this question. 
Bill, was that just your imagination? Did you just make that up? Did you want to hear that? And what he says is when God speaks something and the enemy rushes in like that, it steals it away. It takes away our confidence in what we feel like God was speaking. He said a better test is to ask, is it true? Because Satan is going to say something that is true. He's the father of lies. And so we see this in uh, Philippians 4.8 and James 3.17. And then another test is the fruit test. If I move forward, if I agree with this, if I move forward and act on it, is it going to lead to good fruit? John 15, the fruit of the Spirit, all over different different ways. Is this going to lead me to be more loving, to love Jesus more and to love people more? Is this going to bear kingdom fruit or is it not? And so we can test the fruit. We can also use the community test all throughout Proverbs. We have these admonitions, plans fail for lack of counselors. What do other wise, godly people who don't have a dog in the fight, what do they think about this? Do they think that this is a wise and a good move uh, moving forward? And then lastly, the fit test. In the fit test, uh, does this align with what God has, has put in me already? And so we see the fit test with uh, Moses about to lead the people out of, uh, out of bondage. Well, Moses had been traveling those same deserts for years and years, shepherding sheep. There's all these things that were in place. Moses had a legal background from, from uh, uh, Pharaoh's court and, and these kinds of things. And so he had been uniquely prepared both to lead these people out in a giant desert journey and also uniquely equipped to, uh, to explain the law and to write it down and these kinds of things. And so usually what we see in Scripture is that when God is calling us to something new, He's already prepared us in some way. Does that make sense? We see this all throughout Scripture. We also kind of ask the question, does this align with who I naturally am? Now sometimes God will override it and do something different, but most times it's pretty consistent with what we've always been like. And so I'm not a huge risk taker. I, I'm not one of those that would jump off a bridge or a high place or go bungee jumping. Uh, and so I'm not a risk taker. So imagine if, if I went to Two Rivers and said, I feel God is calling me to become a uh, parachute instructor, uh, a free fall instructor. Well, that's just not in alignment with who God has made me to be and what I've experienced. Now, sometimes God will prepare us on the fly, but oftentimes there's a level of fitness uh, and background that he's prepared us for. So that's how we can kind of test and know. Those are some practical tests. You probably already use them, but I wanted to highlight them as well. I want to shift to another question. How do we grow in hearing God's voice? And I loved what this person that we brought in to kind of coach us up on hearing God's voice, and I loved what he came out of the shoot. His first words uh, were, he said, my job isn't to teach you how to hear God's voice. My job is to authenticate all the ways you've already heard. And so I'm going to lead us through a pop quiz. And so go ahead and look at the screen behind me here. You've got ten fingers. So if you answer yes, uh, put up a finger, all right? Not, not, out, you know, not out front, but just, just for you. And so the first question is this. Have you ever stood in front of an ocean, mountain, sunset, or newborn child convinced that there is a God? Put up a finger on your hand, or if not. Second question. Has your heart ever been stirred? by a Bible passage as you read it or that comes to your memory at a specific time? Question number three. Have you ever, been, have you ever become aware of your sin and realized your need for a Savior? Question four. Have you ever felt bad, convicted, about an issue you need to make right with God or someone else? 
Question five. Have you ever experienced God speaking to you through a pastor, priest, teacher, friend, or stranger who shared something that deeply impacted you? Question six. Have you ever sensed God's pleasure in your obedience or devotion to Him? Question seven. Have you ever felt the urge to pray for or encourage someone, a friend, family member, or complete stranger? Question eight. Have you ever sensed God's still, small voice giving you direction or encouragement? Question nine. Have you ever gotten a picture in your mind that brought clarity to you or someone else? And question ten. Have you ever woken up remembering a dream that provided understanding affirmation or direction so look down privately at your hands count your count your fingers how many of you had more than five raise your hands be bold almost all of you you guys hear well already god has been speaking this isn't a, something new it's something that's built in you're hardwired uh, to hear god's voice and because of the holy spirit uh, to hear it well and so i want to uh, transition and and talk a little bit how do we grow you already hear god's voice we've talked a little bit about testing and discerning if something is from god how do we grow and so i would propose that uh, one of the first way is developing the habit of listening meetings develop the habit of listening meetings most of you in this room already have a devotional time a time that you've set aside maybe a specific place where you're spending time in the word you're spending time praying maybe you're worshiping What if you added a listening element to your existing devotional time? What if before you prayed through your list, you asked, God, is there anything specific you want me to pray for today? And then prayed into those things in addition to the list. What if as you're reading Scripture, you're asking, God, is there anything that uh, I need to take away from this passage? And then what if you kind of open it up, God, is there anything I need to know or be aware of for this day? And when we ask the question, then we're just going to pause and and be quiet for a moment and just listen. And so, um, Leslie, it's Leslie, right? Oh, good. Uh, I'm horrible with names. Uh, Leslie, if if you and I were having coffee and I asked you a question, and and then you spoke something out, I would think that you were answering my question and talking to me, right? Somehow it's different when we squirrel it all up with God. We ask a question, and then when he says, uh, when a thought comes to our mind, we think that the enemy is trying to rush in there. Does that make sense? And so in the same way, have the same confidence. If you ask God a question, test and weigh the first thing that comes into your mind. It may be God speaking. Okay? So what if we, one of the main ways that we grow, and Jesus modeled this. He was up, uh, up late and up early often throughout the Scripture, spending time with, alone with God sharing their love and affirmation, but I'm sure that he was asking God questions. Uh, It says that he was up all night, uh, and then the next morning he decided on which 12 uh, disciples that he would choose. And I'm sure he was wrestling with God the Father. Really? These knuckleheads? Are they the ones that uh, that I'm supposed to go with? And these kinds of things. But I'm 100% convinced that Jesus asked the Father questions in his humanity, and I think that's a a good uh, practice for us as well. I want to propose one other way that we can grow in hearing God's voice and following God's voice and obeying, and that is to develop the habit of a listening lifestyle. A listening lifestyle. So in in John 5, Jesus says this, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees 
only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is doing. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I will judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so I think a listening lifestyle means that when we go into a situation, we're asking, we're looking, God, what do you want to do here? And sometimes it's dramatic and sometimes it's really small. And so when I saw Thomas this morning, and as I'm walking away from visiting with him just for a little bit, I had a a strong prompting, make Thomas a cup of coffee. Simple, tiny little thing. But to somebody who has gifts of active service, just serving him, oh my gosh, that just blessed his heart at 6 in the morning to have somebody brew him a pot of coffee. And so it can be little or big, so we watch. We're asking, God, what do you want to do in this situation? What do you want to do in this relationship? What do you want to do with this person who all of a sudden I'm in front of? And then we listen. We pay attention to what's going on in our heart, what's going on in our mind. And we're, we're looking, we're scanning, we're paying attention like Jesus did to see what the Father wants to do so that we can join Him. And He leads and speaks. And so we also look back in the rearview mirror. And look, sometimes I, one of the best ways that people uh, can sense and grow in hearing God's voice, you'll have a prompting and maybe you're a little unsure of it so you don't act on it. And then what's the fruit of it moving forward? And you think, oh my gosh, that was a, a perfect opportunity to encourage that person. Or you're prompted to pray for somebody. You're prompted to call them. Prompted to reach out in an email or something to a specific person. And then you don't, and then you run into that person shortly thereafter. Or they say, wow, that was a really hard day, or this, this and that. And so we look in our rearview mirror and see what was the fruit of what I thought I heard and how does that play out. And so I want to uh, share just a, a really super practical example of this. Uh, There's a gal, I'm going to call her name Sally, uh, who's in our small group. And about a year ago, uh, uh, she shared this story with our group. Now, she's a a professional, and she has a a full-time job outside the home, and so they'd hired a a babysitter when their first daughter was born. They're about to have another daughter. And uh, even before that daughter is born, the babysitter says, on this day, over nine months in, in advance, I cannot work on that Friday. And she can't find anybody. The day comes, the baby's born, that Friday comes up, and she is home. And so I verified uh, just again the story with her yesterday, and she said, be sure and tell them I was literally cleaning a toilet. So she's at home, mundane task, cleaning a toilet, and she says, I heard a voice said, go check the baby. And I looked at the video monitor, everything seemed fine, everything sounded fine. So I went back to cleaning the toilet. She says, then, uh, then I felt a more urgent prompting and I started to go up the stairs and I, I lingered at the door and I, I just kept thinking, oh, this is probably nothing. If I wake up the baby now, the door is going to creak and, and I'll have a, a fully awake baby and cut her nap short. But she chose to go in and the baby was dead. She said, I could tell as soon as I went in, I could tell by the smell. And then she said, I called 911 and I started doing CPR. Paramedics came, they bring her back to life, and now that little girl is five years old. And so sometimes God gives us promptings even in the midst of the mundane that are very significant. Now it turns out they didn't know at the time, but this, uh, this child has some really unique things and medical needs, but they didn't, hadn't known it at that time. But God had in advance orchestrated all these, all these things, even in the midst of the trouble, to rescue that child. 
with just a simple whisper like that. I want to share one other example, and this is uh, uh, on the screen. You'll see their pictures. This is uh, Captain uh, Mufella. He's on uh, your left, pardon me, your right. And they were flying into Palu, Indonesia on September 28, 2018. And uh, he describes that he was very uneasy uh, flying into that airport, and so he was actually singing worship songs as his Muslim co-pilot was teasing him that he should uh, go ahead and do a worship CD. And as he come in, he said that the, the wind was extremely and unusually strong, and so he heard a voice in his heart directing him to circle again. And then he lands the plane, and he instructs the crew, be as quick as you can, I want a quick turnaround. I just feel urgent that we need to leave. And so they're going off to Ujong Pandang, that's their final uh, destination. He says, I didn't even leave the cockpit, and requested permission from the control tower to leave early. And so the crew gets back on, and the air controller uh, lets them go, and uh, they're going down the airport, uh, down the runway. And he says, I don't know why, but my hand kept pushing the lever forward as fast as the plane would go. As the plane sped down the runway, they could feel lurch as as the runway tossed back and forth because there was a gigantic earthquake. They get airborne. They don't even realize what happened. The city is wiped out. The guy that was in the air control uh, tower uh, passes away. Kind of his final act of heroism was uh, helping them get off the ground. And this is is what he says. If I, I had taken off three minutes later, I would not have been able to save the 140 passengers because the asphalt on the landing strip was moving up and down like a curtain blowing in the wind. Now these examples are, are kind of big things. They started in the mundane, then they became big outcomes. Sometimes it's mundane, just as uh, doing an act of kindness to somebody. God is in charge. Our job is just to be faithful with whatever He speaks. There's reward in that. There's blessing in that when we obey and follow His voice. And in both these situations, both with Sally and, and her child and, and Captain Mafal, I think both heard the voice of God saying one thing, and I think they both heard the enemy saying this is ridiculous. Why would you speed up and, and take off early? Why would you call a control tower and ask permission? This is, you're just being uh, paranoid. And the way they chose in that moment dramatically shaped the outcomes. And that's the same way in our life as well. And so I would like to uh, close with a little exercise. And in your handout notes, actually, uh, David, go ahead and put up all three questions at once here. I'd like just to pray, and then we're just going to create some space, and I want you to start with the first question. We're just going to ask God a question and just linger and see what He brings to your mind. And so this is just private between you and God. And so the question is this, Heavenly Father, remind me of a significant time you spoke to me. It's something that He's already done, and I want you to, what does that feel like? What is that, uh, how did that come about? How did the the fruit play out of it? Does that seem all right? Do a a little experiment? So... um, you can close your eyes, you can keep them open, whatever you'd prefer. So Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us now, would you bring to mind a specific memory you spoke to us? And would you teach us from that how to better hear your voice? So we're just going to be quiet for just a little while and just pay attention to what you discern.
So Holy Spirit, we thank you that you speak. Probably most of us heard something. If we didn't, that doesn't mean that you don't speak or we don't hear. That just means that in your kindness and timing, you're going to reveal it uh, on the drive home or later this afternoon. But Holy Spirit, would you bring our minds' attention to those times in the past when you've spoken? And would we become fluent in asking you questions like David did and modeled? Asking you questions like Jesus did? And would you help us to grow in hearing your voice and being confident in it and being courageous to move forward to obey it? In Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen. Well, I want to... I want to close with this. Moses followed God's voice into defeating Pharaoh and leading the people into freedom. Joshua followed God's voice by leading the people into the promised land. Deborah followed God's voice and leading God's people out of bondage to Jabin, the king of Canaan. Elijah followed God's voice to this giant showdown on Mount Carmel that showcased that God is the God above all other gods. John the Baptist followed God's voice into the wilderness to prepare the way for Jesus. Peter God followed God's voice to preach at Pentecost and 3,000 were saved, just the men, many more with women and children. Ananias followed God's voice to pray for Paul. Paul followed God's voice into all these missionary journeys and into writing much of the New Testament. And John, the beloved disciple, followed God's voice even into exile on the island of Patmos. And John writes this in Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Now we often think this is a passage for evangelism. It was actually written to the church in Laodicea, the church uh, just right like us right here in Oak Ridge. And that's the invitation that's on the table. When we hear Jesus' voice, will we open the door and allow him access to lead, to express his love for us, and to guide us into His way towards abundant life. Amen.